930 WBEN. This is Dave Debo. I always say, what a week it is to talk politics. This was a week where I looked at all the things that were happening, and I said, you know, I could have a guest on this thing that's happening, and I could have a guest on this thing that's happening, and this thing that's happening, and we would have probably, I don't know, a dozen or so five-minute segments, and that just didn't make any sense. So I said, now, who can I get that can address most everything that's gone on this week? We're going to talk about President Trump here. We're going to talk about those rallies for school safety, both in Washington and around here. Uh, we've got midterm elections coming up in the wild to look at. There's even coming up in mid-April a special election for a state assembly seat here in Western New York. Now, who can cover all of that and have some fun with you guys on the phones? So I figured, what the heck? Let's bring in blogger Ken Cruley. He writes for politicsandstuff.com. He's a former Erie County budget official, and he's also someone who I guess uh, is proud of being a Democrat, so we've got that side covered. And then there's Kyle Calabrese, former deputy county executive, teaches campaigning at uh, UB from time to time, and is a lobbyist with Maziello, Martucci, and Calabrese Associates. We figured we'd bring them both in and kick a whole bunch of stuff around. And if you'd like to join us on the phones, we'd love to have you do that. 803-0930 is the number. Guys, thanks for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure Thank to you. be here. Thank you very much. I want to start with uh, these rallies, both the student rallies yesterday in Washington, D.C., and indeed the ones around here in, in on Niagara Square. You got kids, you got students coming out and saying, you know, we need to be active like uh, like uh, we were in the 60s. We really need to get the politicians and the parents moving on the issue of school safety and gun control. And that's all fine and well and good. But I also know that there are probably some cynics out there that say, wait a second, these guys can't even vote. These guys aren't necessarily organizing themselves. Let's bring in uh, Robert Spitzer. He's uh, an author, uh, wrote the Encyclopedia of Gun Rights. He's a professor at SUNY Cortland. As these rallies were starting to gear up, he was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and here's what he had to say. Even if there were 100 mass shootings next week, Congress will do nothing. It's baked into who they are and how they function. But uh, the other question is whether this issue has raised enough attention, enough concern among uh, people who were not paying attention to the issue before, that it might become an issue in the fall 2018 elections. I don't know that it will for certain, but given the way people are reacting right now, if the issue becomes an issue in the 2018 elections, that could be an avenue for uh, having it addressed at the national level and also in uh, congressional and state races around the country. And that could... It's a two-step process. There has there have been these demonstrations that were really kind of an uh, almost spontaneous outpouring of people wanting to express themselves publicly. But then you have to take the second step and see if you can translate that into long-term political action. You might remember way back in 2000, for example, there was something called the Million Mom March in Washington, D.C., which was a reaction to the Columbine shooting. And that uh, what, that resulted in one of the largest mass demonstrations in Washington, D.C. in history. It was a huge demonstration in May of 2000, but that demonstration didn't really yield any concrete political action to speak of. It just kind of dissipated. SUNY Cortland Professor Robert Spitzer, again, the author of the Encyclopedia of Gun Rights. What do you guys think? Can this be a campaign issue in the midterms? Or is the nature of students and kids and the time frame here uh, such that this just will not be around in November? Let's start with you, Ken. And thanks for being here, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I think it's going to be an issue. I, uh, I think because Congress is so much in line with the NRA that uh, has no traction right now. 
Uh, but these kids are getting organized. They were they were signing people up with emails and voter registration in Washington and other places yesterday. So and they're if they're 16 or 17 years old, they're getting close to voting. Uh, but there's a whole lot of other issues that I think are going to dominate more than than the gun control uh, coming into the fall. What do you think they are? Uh, well, uh, one of them, which I, I think people probably haven't thought a lot about, but I think the issue of war and uh, Congress's right to declare war uh, is going to be front and center because the president just hired a, uh, a person who is very big into war, uh, wants to bomb various countries. John Bolton John as Bolton. national security and, advisor. Uh, and I think that that's going to get some attention because this guy uh, is a belligerent. And uh, uh, the, uh, the thing is going to not go away. It's going to be exacerbated every time John Bolton opens his mouth. All right, Carl, I know you probably have a different point of view on that. We'll get to that. But first, talk about the midterms. What do you see? Yeah, you mentioned something interesting that, that these young people can't even vote yet. And that's true. And the other issue is, is that when I mean, they, some of them are no, on the cusp, but, certainly. Right, but, but the point is, when they do become eligible to vote, they don't. Of all of the different age demographic groups, young people are the lowest. They just don't vote. Now, it may change. I, I'm more than willing to consider that we will have a change in this coming election. Uh, but it's a little too soon to tell yet. I'll, I'll tell you this. The last thing the Democrats want, especially in the Senate, is a strong gun control bill. Because, why? Because they're defending so many Senate seats, 10 of them in states that Trump won. Five of those 10, he won by double digits. You know, Colorado, North Dakota. The last thing the Democrats, Democrats want is their candidates, their incumbent senators, voting on a strong gun, right, uh, uh, gun control legislation. Because every time they've done that in the past, it has hurt them at the polls. And so, they know that. So I, I, don't think, I don't think Democrats in the Senate have a stomach to have their candidates have to take a position on gun control that is that it's, is really meaningful. It's not a platform issue. You don't see it being something that anyone really runs on. Oh, I, I think you'll have some run on it, whether they're really, you know, viable candidates and key seats. That's that's a whole other issue. But again, in the past, and I'm, I'm very cognizant of the fact that we, we fight the last war at our own risk in this business and in the military. Uh, in the past, gun control debates and election time have usually gone against the Democrats. All right. You have about I, I think also the... Uh, the fact that the NRA blocks everything in this current Congress, uh, it'd be wasting valuable legislative time to, to get too deep into the weeds on that stuff. All right. Now, Carl, what do you think about what Ken said regarding uh, John Bolton? I, I think John Bolton is, is certainly uh, more of a hawk. However, I believe that you're more likely to have conflict in the world if people think you're weak. It's better to be feared than, than loved in, in uh, world politics. And so I look at the Obama administration in the eight years there, and I think that was very destabilizing because it was a position of weakness. It was a position of uncertainty. Nobody knew where the lines were, and if they were drawn, whether or not he would stand by them. I prefer to, to negotiate on a world level from a position of strength. And, you know, Richard Nixon was, was seen as somebody who, you know, our opponents often thought was, was a bit unstable. You never, never knew what he was going to do. That worked to his advantage. That works to your advantage when you're dealing with adversaries who are armed and dangerous, and that's the situation we're in. So do I think, you know, John Bolton is going to go into Donald Trump and say, press the button, and Donald Trump's going to do it? Absolutely not. Yes, he is a hawkish voice. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing in the times we live in. All right. Now, let's look more at the midterms, though. What do you guys predict is going to happen? We had, uh, back in Virginia, uh, Doug Jones won that special election in Virginia. Alabama. Alabama. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry about that. Uh, and that people pointed to as something that might indicate uh, strength for the uh, for the Democrats. But by the way, Dave, Virginia also had an interest that's at where the I state was house going. level. Yes, 
And you also have uh, Democrat Connor Lamb in the Pennsylvania special election just, uh, what, about two weeks ago. Uh, Ken, we'll start with you. Uh, you you're going to say this is a good thing for Democrats. It, it, is it a harbinger? I think it is. And the thing that really impresses me is the enthusiasm is rather incredible. And uh, just a little anecdote about all of this stuff. Uh, in January, uh, the Erie County Democratic Party and the other parties that are in the Chris Collins Congressional District held a forum in Lancaster. It was on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. It was snowing, and there were 300 people there to listen to five potential opponents to Chris Collins. Chris Collins is going to be awfully, awfully hard to beat. But the fact is that 300 people showing up on a snowy night to hear people talk about Chris Collins is, is sort of a harbinger of things, and it's been played out in other parts of the country. And, Carl, I've heard you look at the vote results in some of those other places before and say that, yeah, there are things Republicans need to be mindful of. Oh, I agree with Ken. I, I think on the scale of energy levels today, it's by far and away in favor of the Democrats. I think their energy level is incredibly high. As I say, Democrat voters have fire in their eyes, and they are going to come out this year, and I've been saying it on, on shows on this station for a couple of months. If the, if the Republicans don't figure out a way to energize their base, um, they're going to be in for a real bad night. I, I think if the election were held today, the, Dem the Republicans could lose the House. Senate's a little more problematic because of the math. It's, it's the most, the Democrats have to defend, I think, 26 of the 33 seats. That's the worst election map for a party since yeah. the 1930s. I mean, it really is overwhelming. Yeah. But wave elections produce dramatic events. Um, I will say this, that I mean, one of my concerns is that I've said, you know, the Trump coalition may be a lot like the Obama coalition. The Obama coalition was not transferable. They came out in 2008 to vote for Obama. They stayed home in 2010. Republicans gained. They came out in 2012. He beats Romney. They stayed home in 14, and they stayed home in 16. Um, you look at these special elections, even though Republicans have won five of the six congressional elections, in every single case, the Republican candidate has lagged and badly lagged the vote that Donald Trump got in those districts. So I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, you know, if that's the case, if the Trump coalition is like the Obama coalition in the sense that it's not transferable to another candidate, um, the, uh, given that elections are always about turnout, and I think Democrats are going to turn out big, uh, it could be in for a very long night next November. Actually, and to support what Carol's saying, I just read a uh, uh, Wall Street Journal poll that said that among Republicans, 59% uh, of them support Trump rather than the Republican Party. Wow. Uh, I and, saw that. And yep. so uh, in a midterm, uh, that's going to have some effect. And, and also, historically, parties in power tend to lose, uh, on average, 33 seats in a midterm election. There have been a few exceptions to that. The exceptions revolve around the fact that the presidents that beat that number had strong economies. And that's kind of the X factor here. How strong will the economy be going into November of this year? And will that factor, and I'll, I'll, I don't intend the pun, but it comes out the pun. Trump. Will, <laughs> will, the, will the economic, the will the wealth factor trump the Trump factor? Uh, go back to the 90s, the Bill Clinton, strong economy, but he's being impeached for a very uh, unsavory event in his life. Uh, and the question was, will, at that time, it was framed as, will the wealth factor trump the sleaze factor? And the answer was yes, it did. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll I, see this year if they have 
803-0930 is our number. Let's uh, take a couple quick phone calls here. Kyle Calabrese is here from Maziello, Martucci, and Calabrese Associates. Blogger Ken Cruley is here from politicsandstuff.com. And uh, now you're here. we get to take a couple calls in here. Uh, these guys, by the way, are here for uh, the first uh, 1030 to 1130 hour. So uh, if you can't... Uh, uh, maybe take time out of your Palm Sunday and get on the phones now. You'll have a little more opportunity before the show's done. John, go ahead. We start with you. Hi, you're on the air. Yeah, I just heard the comments about how they're the lead from strength and how weak Obama was. Um, I forget who said it. But it was Carl. <laughs> I said it. I, I volunteered. You. Um, as a matter of fact, Trump's handling of our current allies, say Canada with the trade tariffs, basically throwing down to NATO hell it's really not relevant anymore when he first took office makes us much weaker than we were under Obama who was a well-respected leader and uh, he actually was a leader not a divider like yeah. who wants to throw shade at NATO and it's a it's a thing Republicans used to be able to run on is military strength or something like that but George W. Bush really threw the pooch in Iraq with, with that and uh Trump is, is it, I don't know what you want to call it, he doesn't even have a foreign policy, so it's really laughable that you would call Obama weak. Oh, I'll call him weak every day, and I'll do it in capital letters. Can you say the red line in Syria? Uh, can you say his, his position with NATO? The fact of the matter is, first of all, you mentioned Canada. Uh, Canada's been exempt from those tariffs along with a lot of other countries. And you've got to understand Trump. Read his book, The Art of the Deal, how this guy negotiates. He did the same with NATO. He goes in with his most extreme position. He said to NATO, you guys don't pay more for your defense? Maybe I'll get out of NATO. Well, we're still in NATO, and guess what? They're paying more for the defense. Um, he, he, he armed the Ukrainians with anti-tank missiles against the Russians. That is huge. Um, just allowing the sale of compressed natural gas to Europe and freeing Europeans from the uh, dependence on Russian gas. Huge ramifications. This guy leads from strength, and you may not like it, you may not uh, be Come on in, Ken, I see you. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> if we want to talk about Russia, uh, then our, the first time that the president says something negative about the country or Vladimir Putin, then I'll be impressed. Actions speak louder than words. Well, I don't, and, but the actions that we don't know about are the things I wonder about, and I think that as t t time goes on, we're going to know about what's going on, the money laundering or other things that may have occurred. You mean the money laundering that the Clintons used to hire... No, I'm talking about the money laundering. <laughs> we're, not, we're not talking about that money sale, laundering. Sale of uh, uh, condos all, to oligarchs. All we know now is that the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee laundered money through a law firm to hire Fusion GPS, which hired Russian agents. want to talk collusion with Russia. Let's talk the Clinton some, collusion. Some guy that was on facts that explained all that, but all I right. don't have the reference. John, John, thanks for the call. We are late for our break. We will have more of this when we return, I promise, uh, and your calls as well. It's going to be a fun hour, or next, uh, what, uh, 40 minutes or so. 803-0930 is the number. Carl and Ken and I will be back after this. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Ah, we really ought to be a webcast. The things we say while the commercials are on. We're talking about The Sopranos, <laughs> it turns out. Uh, a confession to make. Uh, ever since it came up during the trial of Joseph Prococo, I started watching little pieces online, and then I got hooked. And Carl is a big buff of all those mafia films. Carl's a movie buff. Carl Calabrese is here from Maziello, Martucci, and Calabrese Associates. Blogger Ken Cruley is here. And uh, we... 
we might be able what the heck let's try it let's squeeze in one call here we're talking about pretty much everything right now looking at the midterm elections if you'd like and uh, what possibilities uh, that may bring whether the trump coalition can indeed energize the republicans enough to counteract what uh, ken says we're seeing on the democratic side let's bring in john in rochester quickly john hi you're on the air hey hey dave hey i gotta laugh at ken uh Russian collusion. Talk about with the Democrats going back to Bernie Sanders when he had his uh, honeymoon in Moscow, and Ted Kennedy actually uh, was uh, conniving with the Rus- uh, the Russians to uh, defeat Reagan in the second term. Anyways, it, it, it's a laugh. But but hey, but the gun control thing, the, the gun marches in Washington and Buffalo, whatever. Uh, the one thing that's missing here, I brought it up a couple weeks ago. Uh, the violence out there in the entertainment industry that that horrifies gun gun uh, violence. I saw a movie with uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Colin Firth, where uh, Colin Firth goes into a church and kills, I think, about fifty or seventy-five people with an automatic, semi-automatic weapon. Uh, unbelievable! It was like a ten-minute scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kingsman, I think it was. I've actually seen that. And, and, and there was another one. I just saw it over the weekend. Uh, there was uh, some old ladies that were dead were put on a meat hook, oh. and uh, it was a training session for I think a terrorist. And the terrorist had to shoot these old ladies in the head and whatever their dead bodies. It was like unbelievable violence. And and, and bring it full circle for me, John. You think that that amount of violence on the screen? affects people who can't discern the difference between the screen and real life? Absolutely. Take, take, uh, go to Ralph Wilson Stadium, New Era Stadium. you got 72,000 people there. One percent of those people at that stadium, are they, they have a mental problems, serious mental problems. That's 720 people in one area. So one percent of the people, and they, they are the obvious, obvious minority, are affected by this kind of violence. All right, let, let, let's bring in both guys, because Ken was nodding a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree with John about the movies. Uh, I, I think that they certainly encourage this sort of behavior. And the other thing is, uh, watch a football game during the fall, and you see these commercials for the video games where the whole point of it is to shoot people. I'm glad you mentioned that. I have two, uh, two sons that are both in their 20s, and uh, when they were younger, they would play Grand Theft Auto. And I'd sit there and watch it with them, and I'd say, you know, this this really is uh, uh, beyond a line here. You're sitting there shooting people and enjoying it and getting points for doing it. And they said, Dad, it's only pixels. We know the difference. Well, that is that is true for most people. For right. most mentally healthy people, that is absolutely true. But there's a lot who aren't. You know, Peggy Noonan, who used to be a speechwriter for Ronald Reagan, she now writes an op-ed column in the Wall Street Journal once a week, a few weeks ago to address this. And she said, every culture has an atmosphere that everybody breathes in, and you can't help breathe it in. And she said, we have an atmosphere in this, in this society, in our culture, is, is one of violence and, and you know, and, and music, and it's everywhere. It's in the movies, television, music. Of course you're going to breathe it in. All right, Kevin and Pendleton, let's bring you in with a quick question, and then we'll get to uh, the rest of your thoughts on the other side of the news break. Hi, thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, uh, I just want to say to the gentlemen, um, no wonder why a lot of people don't vote and possibly wouldn't uh, this coming midterm after what Donald Trump and the Republicans did to their base. Now, uh, there's a third entity you guys are overlooking that may impact this mid-November, and that's the non-aligned voters like myself and the minor parties, I can tell you for a fact, are getting together right now to get something called ballot access. 
So anybody have to be worried right now is the Republican Party. And do you think that the Republican Party is under threat because of that in the upcoming midterms? Absolutely, because a lot of people I know who didn't vote before and never voted came and voted for Donald Trump. They ain't coming out again. So, so what is happening right now? I can tell you for a fact, the strong minor parties are getting together right now to get ballot access, and this midterms is going to show up. Kevin, let's uh, pop you on hold. We'll pick that up after the news. Perfect tease. Now we got people in suspense. More to come. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. And now, here's WBEN's Dave Debo. And what a week it is to talk politics. Before this week is, or this hour is done, we'll look back at some of the comments that came out Friday at Louise Slaughter's funeral, the congresswoman laid to rest in Rochester. Before this next hour is done, we're going to talk about the new candidate for governor, actress Cynthia Nixon from Sex in the City is challenging Governor Cuomo. We'll hear her announcement and kick that around coming up at about 11.30. But that's just part of the issue. We haven't even talked Stormy Daniels, folks. There's a lot to look at with the uh, midterm elections as well. Broad-ranging free-for-all right now, really. Any political topic you want, we'll put it on the table, give us a call, we'll kick it around with Ken Cooley, blogger from politicsandstuff.com, and Carl Calabrese with Massiello Martucci, Calabrese and Associates, political strategist, teaches campaigns, former deputy county executive. How many hats do you have there, Carl? Former town supervisor in town of Tonawanda. <laughs> a guy that knows politics a lot. Were you a councilman before that? I was a councilman before that and grew up there. My and, and let's bring in Kevin and Pendleton, a guy who tried to run for Congress on uh, an independent line, basically, at one point against Chris Collins. You're talking a lot about independent parties. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kevin, uh, reassert the thesis that we left you off with, that if we're looking at the the midterms, we can't just look at it, in your point of view, in terms of Republicans and Democrats alone. Oh, no, because, uh, and I say, Republicans, be worried. Be very worried. You know why? Because the membership ranks of the minor parties are quickly filling up these voters are finding homes. And then on top of that, the other side of the, of the equation, there's a lot of people, as of last week, what the GOP did and Donald Trump did to the base and to, and to even non-aligned people like myself, those who have voted for him, that is, right? They ain't coming out this November. I can assure you of that. And furthermore, gentlemen, um, I think one of your guests said that... The, that um, some people are more have allegiance to the to the Donald Trump than the Republican Party, which is so true. But here's what's happening, though, is that you, you guys have overlooked a third entity here that everyone just in the last um, general election, everyone overlooked Trump. Well, you all are overlooking the third parties because they are organizing. And guess what? Ballot access is a major issue in states around the country. As a matter of fact, States like Democratic California and, yes, even Florida, they are making it tougher for some of the reputable minor parties to, to even stay on the ballot, uh, to, to get on it. So, uh, therefore, they are organizing. So, this Jim Crow of um, the political process is going to end, and it's going to end very soon. Kevin, I know the presidential election is a little different, but do you remember John Anderson? Because not many people do. He was, <laughs> he was the last person to run as an independent for president. You really think... Uh, that that this is going to to move things ahead? Well, no, I'm not saying just a third party or anything like that who's going to make a difference. What I'm saying is that when you look at the board of elections, right, you have a Democratic and you have a a Republican commissioner, right? There is no oversight, no transparency, okay? 
in the process right. because regardless of what they make sure they, they they bind together when it comes to their own survival and carol calabrese come on and you you were uh, wise to correct me uh, ross perot ultimately ended up as an independent he started out as a republican but take a bite out of what kevin's well, saying here a few things first of all i don't disagree with kevin about um trump being unable to appeal to independence that's absolute fact um that's one of his problems. That's why he's not been able to expand on his base. I mean, let's be honest. If, if a president is sitting in the Oval Office and the economy is on the upswing, unemployment's going down, uh, labor particip participation rate is going up, wages are going up, he should be between 55 and 60 percent approval today, and he's not uh, because he's not been able to appeal to independents, Republican women in the suburbs. That's and Democrats. Of, and Dem well, uh, that, that's yeah. what I was saying, but that's part of his problem. The other thing Kevin said that I believe is absolutely true is this week's vote on this budget really angered the Republican base. I mean, I follow it pretty yeah, closely. Even, even uh, Drudge, the headline, I guess, was mm -hmm. uh, a fake veto. <laughs> no question. I mean, Republican voters are saying, we elect you, you take, we've got the White House, House and the Senate. And what happens? You've got a budget-busting bill. We're giving tens of millions of dollars to China for developmental aid. We're funding sanctuary cities. We're funding Planned Parenthood. What did we put you there for? It's a real problem, and it feeds into that opening comment I made about the turnout of the Republican base this year. Right now they're angry, and that means some of them, uh, what percentage, we don't know, but, will stay home. But I also think, Carl, that it feeds into something you said earlier about the art of the deal, the way Trump operates, and uh, not necessarily being an ideological guy. That's correct, and, and he, he tends to, not, not tends, he does. He begins negotiations with his most extreme position and then drops back from there, but this budget bill really angered the base and the way it was handled. I, I think that's correct, and uh, it, so what's going to happen in November, assuming, I mean, it's still seven months away, but you're going to have this great Democratic enthusiasm that is building. You're going to have a depressed uh, Republican view of things because of things like the budget bill. And so put those two together, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, in the uh, Pennsylvania 18 district that uh, Connor Lamb won, uh, Trump had carried it by 20 points. There's 100 House districts in the United States uh, that Trump carried by less than 20 percent. So the Dems only need about 25 of those seats. And plus there's a lot of GOP incumbents retiring. Now you're going to have an open seat. Over 30. Over 30. Yeah. I think it's yeah. up to 33 Committee now. chairman all over yes. the place. Bob, on a cell phone, come on and you want to talk about the independent elections too, or independent parties. Go ahead. Yes, I wanted to. I, Ross Perot was the last independent. Yeah, yeah. I, he started out as a Republican, but I corrected myself. You're absolutely right. He did end up running as an independent. And he took 19 points with him when he did it. Yeah, yeah, the most successful uh, third-party run since Teddy Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. Right, just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, glad you did. Uh, the comment on the board here, though, says you, you feel that independents ruin elections. Explain. No, that's somebody else, but I do a <laughs> theory. I do a, not a theory. It's, it's a fact. We've been proven before, and that's what happened to Bush. Okay. Okay. I mean, well, sure, yeah. If, if you have a, a viable third-party candidate pulling votes from, uh, on the left, pulling votes from Democrats, that's going to hurt, and, and, and vice versa. you got a viable third-party candidate on the right, the Republican is going to pay for that. No question about it. Yeah. Nader did it with the Greens. Right, Nader. Yeah. The Greens. Exactly, with Gore. Yeah, and in the last election, Jill Stein. I, I appreciate the call. Thanks. Talk to me, though. This gives us a good springboard to talk about uh, New York state politics, because we have, and I know you're familiar with them, Carl, uh, Carl, we say, was deputy county executive under a guy named Joel Giambra. And Joel right now is running for governor. 
uh, on what he thinks is probably the reform line, maybe some sort of line that works with uh, legalizing marijuana as well. We have a candidate out there strongly campaigning already for an independent uh, run for New York State governor. Yeah, and uh, I think this was the plan all along. I think uh, Joel uh, realized early on that he was not making headway uh, as a viable candidate in the Republican Party. And so I, I really think this was his strategy all along. I, I haven't seen Joel Charbon over three years or talked okay. to him, so I'm, I'm just speculating. But but you know the guy, sure. I, I do, and I, I think I, I know how he thinks politically. Um, he thinks strategically, and I think in this case he's looking for a movement that will eventually legalize marijuana in New York State. What's the long yeah. game, Ken, in terms of the ballot lines? Well, that will be interesting. As you know, we have six minor parties in New York State. And they all jockey uh, every time there's a gubernatorial election. Uh, with Joel, with what he's doing, there's stories around that the marijuana folks are prepared to put $2 million into his campaign. Uh, so you could run a campaign that could attract a number of people who would <coughs> wind up on their, um, pushing the Reform Party up on the election ballot. Uh, how, how does that work? Let's if, see if they get a certain amount of votes... They are then moved up higher on the 50,000 or more uh, qualifies a party for the next four years, and then the highest uh, go to the top of the, uh, the list. So let's Republican explain the dynamic of that to your listeners in terms of a candidate. Um, third party, like the Conservative Party, the Working Families Party, in certain districts can be the kingmaker. They can be the difference uh, in electing or defeating a candidate. Now, if As long it, as we have fusion and as long as we have a Republican running with a couple extra lines, or a Democrat running with a couple extra lines underneath. I think there are only four states in the country, New York is one of them, that allows a candidate to take multiple lines. In most other states, you get to pick one. If you're a Republican, that's it. If you want another party line, you've got to give up the Republican. That's not the case here. So I think the long game here is if the Reform Party, under a strong legalizing marijuana platform, were to, be, were to become a permanent party and move up, They'd be in a position where they could be the kingmaker in certain legislative districts. Candidates then come to them and say, "We'd like your party, and I'd like your party endorsement." And the party says, as the conservatives do, the Working Families Party, "Here's our agenda. Here's our legislative uh, priorities. Will you pledge to support this?" Yes, you get the endorsement. Now you're on the line. The, in the, the legislature, reform, the Reform Party in Erie County has 93 registrants in Erie County. Wow. Uh, in the whole state of New York, they have less than 1,200. Okay. Uh, and their their chairman is Curtis Sliwa, who some right. of us older folks might remember. The, the Guardian, Guardian Angels. Angels in the 1980s right. and so. So we even even though their, their registration is low, if they get enough votes in the gubernatorial election, they've got a ballot line. Yeah. If yeah. Joel yeah. pushed the marijuana thing and it attracted, I would think, a lot of uh, left uh, of center yeah. folks to vote for that, that could move them up on the ballot. Sure. And in Buffalo, hi, you're on the air. Thanks for waiting. Thanks for taking my call. When's the last time anybody's watched a classic movie, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington by Jimmy Stewart? It was just on TBS this past week. I love that film, but go ahead. Politicians in 1939 were deeply, greatly insulted. And that's the problem we got today. You know, corruption is rampant in this country uh, and all levels of government. I'm so sick of it. When is honesty going to enter the picture sometime? I don't know, Dave. Nobody knows. We have a we have a cancer in this country. The lobbyists, the the the, the amount of money that controls elections. I, I'm so sick of it. But I got a question for your guest. All right. Well, tell me, tell me, which president in the history of this country was the most honest, and who's the most crookedest? 
No, hang up and listen. All right. Let, let's begin that question to lobbyist Carl Calabrese. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess by historical standards, you'd have to say Abraham Lincoln. Honest yeah, Abe. I, I mean, that was, okay. that was his nickname. Uh, yeah. who, the, who the most corrupt was? Boy, I'll tell you, that, that's Coolidge, a tough one. Warren Harding down. comes to the top of the list, uh, but we haven't seen uh, all yeah, the final Harding results rather. for the current administration. Uh, so. <laughs> it, that, that's like, the, you know, the, the, the den of thieves. I mean, it, the fact of the matter is, is our, our country's history of presidents, there's a lot of very interesting, if not unsavory characters who became president, and, you know, the, the history is history. Yeah. All right. Uh, when we come back, we'll kick around a lot of the things. We'll look ahead also to the big interview. CBS News tonight, 60 Minutes, has an exclusive with Stormy Daniels, the former porn actress who is coming forward and saying, yeah, she had a relationship with Brown Donald Trump uh, before he was president. We'll look at the implications of that, and there's still a couple calls on the board, too. A lot more to do before we... Uh, uh, hand it off to Meet the Press at 12 noon, one final time. It's Hardline on News Radio 930, WBEN. This is Dave Debo. Carl Calabrese is here from Masiello Martucci, Calabrese and Associates. Ken Cruley is here. He's a blogger. He used to be a county official back in the day. These days he writes a lot of really interesting stuff at politicsandstuff.com. The stuff you say is usually football-related, but it's mostly politics. And uh, we'll have a couple of t uh, time here to get a couple more calls in, too. 803-0930 is a number. Before the show wraps up, though, guys, I really have to ask you about this big 60 Minutes bombshell, as it were, on 60 Minutes tonight uh, with Stormy Daniels. What do you think? Is it going to have an impact? I think the big question is what's going to happen at 6.50 this afternoon when uh, uh, 10 minutes before the show goes on, Trump announces something else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. there, is a, there is a man who has been at the center of power and knows how, how these things work. Uh, your last caller who talked about how disgusted he was with all the, the garbage and trash in Washington. And, and those evil lobbyists. And he, yeah, I noticed that. Right? <laughs> Damn <laughs> I lobbyists. Did, I did take notice of that. But that. And I said during the break, that is the person that elected Donald Trump. They've had it up to here. They want somebody to so-called drain the swamp. To that person, this whether it's Stormy Daniels or the Playboy Bunny that making making allegations now, doesn't matter to them. They see it as more more of the same of the kind of trash and garbage that goes on in Washington, and they dismiss it. Ken, you're a Democrat who presumably doesn't like Donald Trump as much as Carl. Uh, do you do you see this as an issue? I uh, I don't think that the uh the activity uh, that involved the uh, unfaithfulness to his wife is a public issue. Uh, I th and I think most of the public is already un understanding that Donald Trump is that sort of person. Um, I, I sort of feel sorry for his wife that no, he course. put her through this. But the bigger issue, at least uh, on some of these, is that the, uh, the $130,000 hush money, the $150,000 hush money, uh, where did it come from, uh, was in fact that $130,000 a campaign contribution could rise to the level of e illegality. And that, frankly, is more relevant than Donald uh, Trump's uh, sexual activities. All right. Jim and Tanamanda, you're up now. Hi. Thanks for waiting so long. You're on the air. Yeah, no problem, guys. Hey, uh, you guys were talking. Uh, first of all, I want to say hello to my old sparring partner, Carl. Okay, Jim, I, I don't know who you are other than your first name, but we've sparred a few times. He's, on the, he's, he's a regular caller here, known as Rambo Jim. Oh, I know who it is now. I've been on in the morning many times when you send in the little text messages. There you go. Yep. No to, to the point, guys, quickly. We're almost out of time. I want to talk about all these violent video games and how um, us older guys, The I, I'm an adopted uncle to two boys, uh, six and four, and I've noticed when I go over to where they live, they love these video games. That 
I've watched them play them, and some of them, I'm not going to say all of them, but some of them are violent. Yeah, yeah. Grand Theft Auto is the one that comes to my mind. It involves uh, prostitution and car theft and a lot of guns, absolutely. Yeah, and so what I've done is, I've stu- they, there's two boys and they live in the same house. They're, you know, adopted, like four or five girls in the house. And they use, and they're very, they love their toy guns. I mean, every time I go over there, they're running around shooting each other and everything. So what I did was, instead of telling them guns are bad, I explained to them, I said, you boys are responsible for these five girls. I said, you got to use your guns to protect them. Watch over them. And I said, you never are mean to girls. You don't do mean things, say mean things. We had a birthday party for one little girl in February who was three. And I bought her a blanket, and I noticed the little boy, he actually quoted me about what I said about girls, because I bought her a new princess blanket at Walmart. He took the blanket and covered her up, and he said, Uncle Jim says, this is my job. So for you, the video games don't have the negative influence. Yeah, they can, but if the, and I know the older men were busy, either were retired or were working, and we got bills to pay and important things in our mind. But the older men have got to take these young boys under their wings and supervise them and teach them from the time they're three or four years old about what their responsibilities are. I think we'd have a lot less of these schools. All right. Jim, one of the fundamental problems we have in our society today, this is not political or partisan, the fact that so many kids are born into homes without fathers. It, it's it's incredibly large problem, especially in the minority community, and it's having in terrible impacts uh, and effects on our society and our culture. Daniel Patrick Moynihan, big report on that, what, 1969, yep. I think it was. That's correct. Yeah, uh, and Carol's right, and that's, uh, that's more important than a lot of the other things we're talking about. All right, as we close here, give me a prediction. We talked a little bit earlier about the midterms. You can throw that on the fire. We've talked about Trump. We've talked about uh, Joel Giambra, even the gubernatorial race. Let's wind up the day with a prediction from each one of you, politically speaking. I think that the uh, Democrats will take control of the House. I don't know how big the margin will be. It probably won't be really big, maybe five or ten votes. Uh, I think that they're going to be struggling to take the Senate. As Carl pointed out, the number of seats the Democrats are defending. Uh, there's a couple of Republican seats that are vulnerable, but I would think that it'll be harder to flip the Senate this time. 2020 will be a different story. All right, Carl. I would agree with that, but I'm sure Ken would agree with my statement that the politics has always been and especially is now very, very volatile, and this could change eight, ten times between now and November. And yep. Like me, Ken probably follows these polls every day, and, and we would not be surprised to see a switch depending on the issues that, yep. that dominate the day. All right, guys. Long time. Thanks so much. This has been great fun. David, it's always been great to work with you. You're a great journalist and reporter, and I tell people who are going to be interviewed by you, if you go on with Dave Debo, don't just go with the talking points because he knows how to ask second and third questions to get to the meat of the matter. You do that on your own risk. It's been a pleasure working and with such a And let me give a bipartisan uh, a round of applause to uh, to you also. I, th- I think you're uh, a great guy, a great reporter, and uh, it's been very enjoyable being on the show. I appreciate hearing that. Thanks so much. Um, Good luck. Got a lump in my throat. Got to take a break for news. It's News Radio 930, WBEN Buffalo.